there is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Let's open the scriptures together tonight again to 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last evening. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Would you raise your hand, please? You just told your age, didn't you? And uh, I used to love listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. Nobody could tell a story like Paul Harvey could. And he would always build to that dramatic pause and say, And now for what? You did know him, the rest of the story. That's what we're going to get tonight, the rest of the story. But if you'll permit me, I want to back up and read the opening verses of this chapter that we've looked at already. In fact, we began at the end of chapter 3 because it all goes together. And we learned in the close of 1 Corinthians 3 that all things are yours, all are yours. Aren't you glad for all that God has given to us? And in light of that, our response to that revelation is, verse 1, let a man so account of us. And we're looking here at heaven's accounting principles. That's, that's what it is. The Lord's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Uh, back home, people would use the word figure. They would say, well, I, I figured that. Well, you know, the reality is sometimes we don't figure right. Our math is off. Our, our accounting principles don't line up with the Lord's. And so what the Holy Ghost of God is doing, he's bringing us back to center. He's bringing us back to the mind of Christ. He's bringing us back to the way God looks at our life. Who cares how you look at your life? Who cares what others think of your life? What is Jesus going to say when you meet him someday? That's heaven's accounting principles. And so we begin. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. If you don't have last night's, write them down quickly. We, I'll review them, and then we'll pick up there. In verse number one, we learn, first of all, that we're stewards of the greatest thing in the world. What is the greatest thing in the world? It is the Word of God, the mysteries of God, the revealed truth of the Lord. So the greatest thing you have outside your own soul, the most eternal thing you have is the unchanging Word of the living God. I know some people, frankly, who try to schedule their time properly, who, who even give their tithe and offerings to the church so they think they're doing the right thing with their treasures, who even sing in church and play instruments and use their talents for the Lord, who never one time ever try to give the truth of the gospel to anybody else. And I think this is a great reminder to us that good stewardship doesn't just operate at the church house, it operates everywhere that you go. See, the Great Commission never said, build a building, open the church doors, and let all the lucky sinners come find you. That is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission says, go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and we're going to be accountable to God someday for what we did with the truth of the gospel in our generation. Imagine 
Imagine answering to God for us living and laboring in the greatest mission field any generation of Christians has ever known, and we, we were the stewards of the mysteries of God. I don't know about you, that is sobering to me. And so we're stewards of the greatest thing ever. The second principle we learned from verse number 1, I had you mark the word ministers and the word stewards and connect it in your Bible and in your thinking. Stewardship and ministry always go together. People have this idea uh, that stewardship's all about me. It's not about me. It's about what God wants to do through my life to minister to other people. So stewardship's not just throwing your money in the plate. Stewardship is you saying, dear God, I want to be used by you. I want to make a difference. I want to encourage, I want to disciple, I want to witness, I want to be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. Read on, verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Here's the third accounting principle of heaven, and it is this, that faithfulness is more important than giftedness. Gifts are wonderful, uh, but those gifts, apart from faithfulness, are meaningless. Because they draw attention to us but give no glory to God and do not accomplish the Lord's purpose. The one thing God requires of his servants is that we be faithful people. Do you know the name William Carey? I know this is a missions church. How many of you know the name William Carey? Pioneer of modern missions, right? And everybody wants to talk about his great pioneering work. On his deathbed, he said to his family, I hope somebody will remember that I was a plotter. Isn't that interesting? And we think of all the adventure and all the great days. Did you ever think... You ever think about all the ordinary, mundane, run-of-the-mill kind of days that a guy like William Carey had to go through? Now, we see the Apostle Paul standing up preaching in Athens to the, about the unknown God. You ever think about all the days that all he did was walk by himself from one town to the next town? Uh, you see David standing in the valley of Elah with uh, the sling in his hand and felling the giant and being greatly used of God. You ever think about all of the anonymous days seen and known only by God when David's sitting out yonder in the pasture with a bunch of dirty sheep just learning from the Lord and worshiping God? Men are remembered for their extraordinary days, but they are made on their ordinary ones. And too often we see what goes on on a platform and think that's why God is blessing. I'm just going to tell you, if God blesses this church, it will not be because of what happens on this platform. It will be because of what happens in the prayer closet and the private life of the membership of this church. And so faithfulness is the whole thing, and it's much more important than giftedness. Keep reading, verse 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. He just said, you don't know me and I don't know me. Now this is one of the most intelligent human beings that's ever lived. He had the equivalent of three PhDs. And here's a guy that says, you can't judge me because you don't know my heart. And I don't even know my heart. But let me tell you who does know my heart. The Lord knows my heart. Look at verse number five. Therefore judge nothing before the time. Until the Lord come, and he is coming, church, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. Here was the fourth principle. We gave it last, last night. Write it down, please. Do what you do for the praise of God and not the pleasure of man. Stop trying to please everybody else. Stop it. When you meet God someday, the only thing that's going to matter is the smile of Jesus. Is the Lord going to look at your life and say, You were faithful with what I put in your hand to do. I'm standing here right now. I'm preaching to me, not preaching to you. 
You know what I want more than anything in this world? You know, it's funny. As you get older, some things mean less and less. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And other things mean more and more to me. I remember early on as a young preacher starting out, you know, you wanted people to say nice things and say, oh, that was so good. That was the greatest sermon I ever heard in my life. And do you know that means less and less to me? And you know what means more and more to me? When somebody says to me, preacher, God spoke to me. And the Lord worked in my heart in an unusual way. And it wasn't even really what you said, preacher. I just know God was speaking to me. I love that. I was talking to a man over the weekend who's dealing with some very heavy things right now. Dealing with some heavy things in his family. And he's a changed man. I've known him a long time. He's a changed man. He spoke differently. His tone was different. He wept over the phone. He said to me, Scott, at this juncture in my life, he said, with all we're dealing with, he said, I, I just want peace. He said, I've come to realize that really all that matters is the Lord and my family and doing the right thing by both of them. And he said, that's what I want to do with my life. And I'm going to tell you, that resonated with my soul. So much of this stuff we give so much attention to, trying to impress and please everybody else is just a bunch of nonsense. Let's live our lives for the only thing that matters, and that's the praise of Almighty God someday. And so we come tonight to the fifth of our accounting principles of the Lord. Let's pick up our reading, would you please, in verse number six again. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. Now, time out just a second. Paul's one writing. He references Apollos. This is fascinating to me. Do you know who Paul and Apollos were? These were like the premier preachers of the day. And you want to hear somebody preach? Paul and Apollos, Paul and Apollos. Matter of fact, turn back one page in your Bible. You're there already. Look at chapter 3, verse number 5. He has to even straighten them out because they're in the Paul camp and the Apollos camp. Verse 4, why one said, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Wouldn't it be much better to say, I belong to Jesus? How many of you think that sounds better? Look at verse 5. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Would you write this down? Remember that you are nothing and God is everything. You want to start counting right, figuring right? You must always remember, no matter who you are, that you are nothing and God is everything. Matter of fact, go back now to chapter 4 and look at verse 6. He said, I've transferred these things to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. By the way, do you know that's the cause, that's the reason there's so much fighting and bickering today? It's pride. Proverbs says, only by pride cometh contention. And people say, that's right, she's full of pride. Well, when you think that, you're full of pride. I'm sure everybody in this church gets along all the time. I'm certain of it. But in the church where I grew up, every now and then there'd be little spats, you know. Somebody said some churches are more like goat pens than sheep folds because everybody's always butting heads all the time. But I want you to know, it shouldn't be that way among the children of God. And you know what we all got to do? I'm going to tell you what we all got to do. We all have to die. A living church is a church full of dead people. It lives with the power of God because they're all dead to self and dead to what they want, don't have to have their way. It's not about us anyhow. It's all about Jesus. Let me tell you who we are. You're listening tonight to a dressed-up, black-hearted, hell-deserving sinner 
in desperate need of the mercy of Jesus. If Scott Paul had got what he deserved tonight, he'd be burning in hell right now or on his way there. And the only reason I'm not and never going there is because of Jesus. I am a sinner and he is a wonderful Savior. And I'm going to tell you what happens to us after a while. And I know who I'm talking to. I'm preaching to the Tuesday night crowd. After a while, some of us who've been around church a little while and know so much and have seen so much and had so much experience with the Lord, we start thinking more highly of us. I'm going to tell you how to stay small in your own eyes. Let Jesus be big in your eyes. And when the Lord is everything, you're nothing. That's what he's saying here. Keep reading. Look at verse 7. For who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Every time I read this verse, I just kind of chuckle to myself because isn't that like us to brag on things we didn't do? Even the gifts should remind you of the giver. Sometimes we get so enamored with the blessings of God and we start talking about the blessings, the blessings, the blessings. Friend, you ought to back the truck up just a little bit and start talking about the blesser again. Next week, we'll, we'll celebrate Thanksgiving. Can I just recommend you do something? When you get around the table with your family or whoever you celebrate with, don't just go down a list of material blessings and things you have received. Instead, why don't you go around the table and let everybody say one thing about God that they're grateful for, one of the great attributes of God. Anybody here grateful that he's faithful? Anybody glad he's faithful? Wait a minute. How about the grace of God? Are there any recipients of the grace of God here tonight? Anybody know the Lord is merciful and his mercy is anew every morning and his mercy endures to all generations? How many of you are glad for the mercy of God? Don't just talk about what he gives you. Talk about who he is. Because every blessing should lead you back to the God who gave it to start with. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We're a bunch of rebel kids, that's what we are, just a bunch of children, but hallelujah, we have a wonderful heavenly Father. And so we're reminded again and again, look at verse number 7. He said, what makes you different from somebody else? Now let me just tell you this, you are unique, you are unique. Matter of fact, turn and look at the people around you, stare at the people around you. Would you look around? You're not allowed to look at me, look around. How many of you think that you're different than them? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are really grateful to God you're different than them? Would you raise your hand? Yes. We're unique. Would you write this down somewhere? Though you're unique, you're not superior. There is, there is a difference in that God gifts us differently, but the point here is he's saying you're no better than anybody else. And he asked this rhetorical question. You know, questions probe, don't they probe? Look at the questions. He said, who makes you different from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? He said, wait a minute. Isn't even the good things in your life, that, that didn't produce, wasn't produced by you? Didn't God give you that? Look at the next question. If you received it, why do you glory as if you did not receive it? You know, honestly, God has a way of letting all the air out of your balloon, doesn't he? And there are times I just get so stinking full of myself. And you do too. And I want to talk about what I've accomplished, thinking about something that didn't go my way. I'm going to tell you what I need on those moments. I need a fresh visit to the cross. I have a friend that writes me regularly. Every, every day I get an email from him. Every day of my life I've got it, maybe two or three today from him. He told me years ago, he said, I'm going to pray for you many times through the day and night. I've only met him once or twice in my life. He said, every time I pray for you, I'm going to send you an email. You don't even have to respond. 
But he closes every email the same way. He, he closes every email with this statement, walk by Calvary at least once every day. It's been really good for me. Because there's a lot of days I sit down and start staring at everybody else at the foot of the cross instead of looking at the one who went to the cross. You know what I'm talking about? I start thinking about me and about them and not about him. And so what's he doing? He's bringing us back to who God is. Could I just remind you, everything you have God gave you and, and God can also take it away. I quoted a verse. Go back to Romans 11 just for a minute. Would you please? Just a few pages in your Bible. I quoted one verse to you on the Lord's Day, I think it was, from Romans 11. But look at the verses that lead up to it. They're, they're convicting. Look at Romans 11, starting in verse number 33. <laughs> oh, oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. There's two exclamation points in that verse. You know you can tell a lot about people by what they get excited about. And Paul said, let me tell you, I just am overwhelmed with how wise God is. He's just right. Matter of fact, what's the first word of verse 33? Would you say out loud, church, what's the word? I didn't hear you. What's the word? Would you tell me what O means, please? O is more of a groan than a word. It's what you say when you don't know what to say. It's a sigh. It is you saying, I can't even put this in words. I don't even know where to start. My God is so wise. Keep reading, verse 34. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Just, just so I can be clear, has the Lord ever called anybody in this room and asked you for counsel? Anybody in this room gotten a call in the middle of the night and the Lord said, I'm trying to make some decisions on world affairs here and just need a little advice? No, I don't think so. Look, please, because he doesn't need us, we need him. Here's the verse, verse 35. Or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Stare at verse 35, would you please? Do you, do you understand what verse 35 says? Verse 35 says, Is there anybody who's given to the Lord and the Lord owes you? And the answer to that is absolutely not. I owe him everything. I'm thinking of old J. Wilbur Chapman's song, Not Have I Gotten but what I received, grace hath bestowed it since I believed. Boasting excluded. Pride I base. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. How many fellow sinners are out there with me tonight? Don't ever forget that. If you don't want to get over the wonder of salvation, don't ever get over the depravity of your own heart. If you don't want to get over what Jesus has done for you and you want to keep the right estimation of God and yourself and everything else in your life, then remember this forever, that every good thing in your life is because God Almighty in His grace gave you those special gifts. We have natural gifts given to us at our birth. Everybody's got them. Uh, we have spiritual gifts. I don't think we talk enough about them, frankly. But we have spiritual gifts that are received at the time of our new birth. The day the Holy Spirit moved into your heart, somebody said to me earlier today, I hear you talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. I love talking about the Holy Spirit. I do. And for the record, I love the Holy Spirit. You know why I love the Holy Spirit? Because he's the one who told me about Jesus. In fact, everything I know from the Bible, everything I know from the Bible, the Holy Spirit taught me. I love him. He lives inside of me. Do you love the Holy Spirit of God? 
I love him. Do you know him? When did you last speak to him? When did you hear his voice? How many of you think it would be strange if somebody moved in your house, lived there for 40 years, and you never talked to them? How many of you think that would be a little odd? Some marriages, but that's a different conference, you know. People get saved, and the Holy Ghost moves in their heart. Lives there for 40 years, and they live their whole life without ever even thinking what the Holy Spirit wants. And I came to tell you tonight, as surely as you have natural gifts and abilities, my conviction is God connects the natural gifts and the spiritual gifts because the sovereign God who made you and who saved you connects all of that in your life. But the same God who made you physically and gave you those natural gifts, saved your soul, gave you the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God brought the gifts of God into your life, and they're not to be used for you. They are so you can be used by him. And the right way to look at life is say, Lord, you're everything and I'm nothing and whatever you want, the answer is yes. Amen to that? This is heaven's accounting. Let's keep reading. Look at verse number 8. Now, you're full. Now, you're rich. You've reigned as kings without us. And I would to God you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Boy, that sounds nice. Wouldn't you like to live in verse 8 all the time? That's a nice verse. You get to be full and rich and reign like kings. Somebody says, that is my life verse right there, preacher. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. We'll come to verse 9. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But ye are wise in Christ, we are weak, but ye are strong, ye are honorable, but we are despised. You know, our American Christianity, this old prosperity mindset has, has ruined us. It's ruined us into thinking that if we're really blessed of God, then, you know, we've got money in the bank and, and great things and all that kind of thing. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You might want to get a history book and read just a little bit because the great souls of whom the world was not worthy were people that wandered in the wilderness and like their master had no place to lay their head. I get ashamed of myself. Look, God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. I'm not trying to shame you tonight. Enjoy what God has given you and be grateful for it and be a good steward of it. But don't ever set your heart on it. I get ashamed sometimes thinking how much of our affection and admiration is more for the stuff than it is for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe, just maybe, God's going to have to strip all that away to remind us that Jesus is really the only thing that matters in the end. Why is Paul saying this to them? Is he having a pity party? Is he sitting somewhere saying, you know, y'all y'all sure are blessed. We're having a hard time over here. That's not what it is. It's a spirit-inspired utterance. By the way, for the record, pity will never get you through. It's one of the reasons social media is so popular. Everybody loves to air all their grievances. And you know why? Let's just get real for a minute because we all want somebody to pat us on the back and say, bless your heart. Nobody but you and Job ever had it this bad. I'm telling you, this is, it's rough. That's not what you need. You need the grace of God to get through whatever you're going to get through. But don't miss this. Why did Paul say this? Because he's trying to give them an eternal perspective. Would you write this down? Here's the sixth accounting principle of our Lord. Keep eternity in view. Keep eternity in view. This is not all there is. This is not the end of the story. Uh, Let's finish this. Things are not always what they what. Seen. May I say it this way? Things are not always what you see. There's a world you cannot see. There's an eternity beyond the veil. You cannot see. This, this is not all there is, friends. 
And there's a lot of people living by sight and not by faith. I'll remind you, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. The just are to live by their faith in God. We must keep eternity in view. Look, just beyond the veil of tears, just over the next horizon, just around the next bend, we're leaving this world and go to be with God forever. And on that day, the only thing that's going to matter is what counts for eternity. Micah gave me this week something to read from the life of C.T. Studd. I, I love reading about C.T. Studd. He was, he was different. He was definitely different. Unusual. God uses unusual people. Aren't you glad? He was just out and out for God. Uh, he wrote something you ought to read called The Chocolate Soldier. That's not what Micah gave me, but he wrote a little book called The Chocolate Soldier. And he said, we've raised a whole generation of Christians who are not good soldiers of Jesus Christ. They're chocolate soldiers. They look really nice, and they're very sweet, but when the heat comes, they all melt. It's powerful. C.T. Studd turned a couple of continents upside down for Jesus, and he married a woman who was as radical for Jesus as he was. Her name was Priscilla. She, when they got married, she came down the aisle at their wedding ceremony with a banner across her white wedding dress that said, United to do battle for Jesus. That's a woman right there, let me tell you. And they did battle for Jesus. C.T. Studd was a household name like a, a famous basketball player, football player in our country. He was a cricket player. He and his brother played on the same team, and God used some things, the ministry of D.L. Moody, to minister to him. One of the things God, God used was the illness of his brother who came very near death, and he testified in this book that he was sitting next to the bed of his brother, and suddenly the sports didn't matter, and the fame didn't matter, and the money didn't matter, and the only thing that mattered to his brother was Jesus and the Bible. And C.T. Stead said that was the moment it dawned on him that when you you get to the end of this life, facing eternity, looking eternity square in the face, none of this other stuff matters. The only thing that matters is that which is going to last for eternity. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a fresh glimpse of eternity. Robert Murray McShane would say to young ministers, always preach for eternity. When I stand to preach, it doesn't matter what kind of meeting it is. It could be a stewardship conference or youth meeting or revival meeting or preacher's meeting. It doesn't matter to me. I'm always trying to think this way. This could be the last sermon I ever give or it could be the only sermon somebody in this room ever hears about Jesus. It could be somebody's last opportunity. You say, man, that's a sobering way to live. Yes, it is. And we must begin to live that way because eternity is closer than you think it is. And so what does he do here? Look, look just scan for a second. He deals with all of the physical and all the peripheral and all the material. And then he says, and I want you to know, this is not all there is. Look at verse number 11. Even unto this present hour. Do you see the mention of time? Go back to verse time, verse 5 just a minute. Therefore judge nothing before the what, church? I want you to connect the time in verse 5 to this present hour in verse number 11. Do you know what he just did there? He connected time and eternity. Connect where you're living in time to eternity. Did you do anything this day that you shall meet on the other side and be glad? Was there a conversation today that you feel was an eternal conversation? Did you transact any business today? that you felt like that was an investment in eternity? Was there anything today that was so given to God with this motive, dear Lord, I want you to use this to accomplish something for thy great purpose, not just in my life, but in this world. Oh, God, I want to meet this in eternity. What shall we meet at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus? 
What shall we see when we get there? What shall we hear when Jesus gives the final verdict? The accounting of our life. Keep eternity in view. Keep reading. Let's go back. Look at verse number 11. Even in this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We're made as the filth of the world. We're the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. Would you write down a seventh accounting principle? Here we go, number seven. It will cost you to serve Jesus, but it always pays. Would you write it down just that way? It will cost you to serve Jesus, but it always pays. Look at the cost here. There's physical needs. There's mental labor. There's emotional stress. There's spiritual opposition. I mean, this is not easy. If you're looking for some painless way to follow Jesus and serve God with your life, friend, you're looking for the wrong thing. Jesus never lowered the flag of discipleship so everybody could touch it. He ran it all the way up the pole and said, you want to follow me? Come on, take up your cross and follow me. You know why that is? It will cost you something to follow Jesus Christ. And I fear that too much of our passive, mediocre, run-of-the-mill, weak, anemic kind of Christianity has made a nice clean-up for church on Sunday Christianity, but there's very little depth among many of the professing followers of Jesus Christ. And when the persecution comes, it's going to reveal who the true followers of Jesus really are. Fascinating to me that even in the most recent circumstances in our country, there was such a falling away of people. And somebody said, what do you think about that? I said to them, I think they were gone before we even realized they were gone. It just revealed the reality that was already there. It will cost you to serve Jesus. But I came to tell you tonight on the authority of the word of God and through the example of the Apostle Paul that it always pays to serve Jesus too. That in the end, the glory is greater than any grief you have on this side. I was sitting there a moment ago looking at Paul's list. Look at his list. Just scan verse 11 and verse 12 and verse 13. That's some tough stuff right there. See, we see all the niceties of the Christian faith. But how about this? How about being persecuted and reviled and defamed? How about, how about if they start treating you like the filth of the world? That's heart-searching, isn't it? What if the culture which is rapidly changing, so turns that even to speak the name of Jesus will mark you forever as an enemy of this world. Are you willing to bear such reproach? Why do they hate the name of Jesus so, by the way? Have you ever heard anybody curse in Buddha's name? When was the last time you heard somebody get mad and say Muhammad? Tell me, please. They always use one name. What name do they say? Jesus Christ. You know why that is? Because that's the one name heaven rejoices in, hell trembles in, and earth is changed by. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the mighty name of Jesus Christ. If you identify with Jesus, it will cost you something at some point. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But this was the thought I had as I was meditating on this list. It dawned on me. We're talking about stewardship, right? Stewardship. You know something else we're stewards of? You don't have to add this to the list, but it is a T, all right? We're stewards of our trials. Some of you right now are going through great difficulty. There are needs in this room, all kinds of needs in this room. Some of you have gotten horrible news, and the doctor said cancer. Some of you got a phone call from a family member this afternoon. I've had some things on my own mind and, and pressing on my mind. And you know what I'm realizing? Those things are just driving me to Jesus. 
You know what I'm realizing? I'm stewards even of the trials and difficulties that God permits to come into my life. Job, you are a steward of the trial that God allows to come in your life because even through that, you're being given an opportunity to glorify your great God. This is the way we must account for it. And then I'll give you a couple more and we'll stop. Look at verse 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus... I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be you followers of me. Would you write this down? If you're going to be the right kind of steward, here's one of the Lord's accounting principles. You must keep growing spiritually yourself. Fascinating that in this great chapter on stewardship, he brings it back to such simplicity. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, you got saved. And verse 16, you must keep following the Lord Jesus and following the godly principle. You move from the new birth to the next steps. Don't rest on your giftedness. Don't rest on your knowledge. Don't rest on your experience to this point. You must determine by the grace of God you're going to keep growing in your faith. Can I ask you a personal question? Don't answer out loud. This between you and God. Are you still growing? Are you still a growing Christian? I meet people sometimes and they say, Oh, preacher, I've had 50 years of experience with the Lord. Good. And then you start talking to them about their walk with Jesus and you realize something. They actually don't have 50 years of experience with the Lord. They have 25 years of experience with the Lord because 25 years ago they stopped growing. Funny, isn't it? In the early days of our Christian faith, we take these steps of growth and we're excited about it. And then someday, instead of taking the next step, we draw a line in the sand and say, all right, Lord, I think that's about far enough. See, this is my last opportunity to preach to you. Let me tell you what I'm thinking on the last night of a meeting. I'm not thinking about this meeting. I'm thinking about six weeks from now, six months from now. I'm wondering, will anything grow out of this meeting, not just what went into this meeting? Will anything change because we had this conference together? Will, will you take the next step? What is the next step for you? I can tell you with certainty tonight, there is a next step for every believer in this room. And every one of us must determine, by the grace of God, we're going to take it. Come to verse number 17. For this cause, have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you in remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. I like that. Everywhere in every church. I'm in lots of places and lots of churches, and I've discovered something. Everywhere and every church needs the same thing. It needs the word of. But here's the principle. Would you write this one down, number nine? We must teach the next generation. Do you see who pops up in verse 17? Timothy does. See, you've not been a good steward until you've passed it on. I was, Brother Weatherby, in uh, a church in Florida preaching a while back, and they had opened a new building. Now, this is fascinating. They had been without a building for 20 years. Let that sink in just a minute. People think of church as the building. 20 years, they'd had to meet in different locations. Hundreds of people, different locations. That's a strong church. They finally got a piece of property, very wealthy, exclusive kind of area, very difficult place to build. They finally got a property, and they finally got a building, and they finally got permission to use it. And I got to be there when they opened it, and it was, it was amazing. Those people, for many of them, it was the first time because they'd been scattered meeting in different places and trying to get together and having a hard time finding a place where they could all get together, and they're all in this room together. I wish you could have seen it. It, it looked like heaven. It looked like heaven. Those people, we take so much for granted. Those people loving on each other and encouraging one another. And the old man 
who had pastored them for so many, many years, way up in years, was very feeble, and he, he came back to the meeting, and I, I, I watched him. I loved watching him watch them. Because now someone else was pastoring the church, but it was the fruit of his labor. It was what he'd prayed for and labored for. And I'll never forget what he said. He got up and said a few words, and he said this. He said, I learned a long time ago that before you leave a church, you must find someone to love them and lead them. I thought of that when I thought of this church. What the Lord did through your ministry, what the Lord is doing now through your ministry, what God is doing here. There's something very special in this. There's something, excuse me, very spiritual in this. Do you understand? This is actually God's way. It is from generation to generation. It must not break down. Somewhere we must say, look, I'm not just going to do this myself. I want to leave something to the generation coming along behind me. I'm thinking right now of my children and our granddaughter. I'm thinking now of the generations to come. I'm realizing I'm not going to be here forever. But I'm going to tell you what I want to do if God will help me. I'd like to find me some Timothys that I could identify and instruct and influence and invest in and leave something behind long after I'm gone. So let me ask you, who's your Timothy? Because this doesn't just work for preachers. You ladies, you ladies in this church, some of you godly women, You've been around here a long time serving Jesus, and I admire you, and I thank God for holy women that keep a church moving in the right direction. But Titus 2 said the older women teach the younger women. So you tell me, what young woman in this church are you ministering to? You strong men. There's strong men in this church. We gathered back here and prayed every night. I love listening to them pray. But you men in this church have been around here a little while. I'm going to tell you something. These teenagers and college-age students and young married men, they need some man put his arm around them and invest in their life. If this is going to go forward, we must pass on this truth to the generation following us. If the most priceless thing you have is truth, the most precious thing you deal with is souls. You've got to connect the truth to your Timothy, you see. Only two eternal things in this room right now. Did you know someday this big, beautiful building is going to burn to the ground? It'll be gone. And for the record, we'll be gone too. Aren't you glad about that? But when it's gone, there are two things that are in here tonight that will exist. A, a thousand years from tonight, they'll still exist. That is the eternal word of God and the eternal souls of men. And the only thing that really matters right now is that we connect those two things. Find you a Timothy and pour into them. One more and I'll stop. Look at the closing verses of chapter 4. It's pretty rough, really. Now some are puffed up, as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will. And will know, not the speech which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word. Would you mark that? Not in word, but in power. So much talk in our Christianity. Where's the power? Where's the power of the Holy Spirit of God? Where's the power of praying people? Where's the power of a godly life? Not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Somebody says, yeah, but that's Paul coming to them. Exactly. Don't you think it's going to be much more grave when the one Paul worked for shows up? Jesus is coming. So write this accounting principle down. In the end, only the power of God can make a difference. Only the power of God. It doesn't matter how much money you have, what gifts, talents, and abilities you have, what opportunity you're given. If it's not empowered by the Holy Spirit, if it's not more than words and more than fluff and more than us being puffed up, it will never accomplish the purpose to which God sent it. 
And you know what it means? It means we need to stop being so puffed up. You can't be full of you and full of the Holy Ghost at the same time. So we got to come to nothing and say, Jesus, we got nothing. We are nothing. We can do nothing. But we want you to take every bit of our lives. Look up here, please. Every bit of that. Every bit of that, Lord. Every bit of me. All my past, all my present, and all my future. Every good thing that is your gift. Every bad thing that I let in. Every ugly thing I don't know how to fix. Everything in my life, every relationship, every resource, every part of my life, oh God, take every bit of it and let it be to the glory of Christ alone, empowered with your presence. F.B. Meyer is one of my all-time favorite authors to read after. He just he ministers to me. When I get to heaven, I'm going to shake his hand and thank him because God used him in my life. F.B. Meyer wrote this. Would you listen carefully? He said, great talents bestowed imply great responsibility in the day of reckoning. Now listen. Much success can only be enjoyed without injury to the inner life by being considered as the dear gift of Christ to be used for him. May I ask you, what has God given you to use for him? Why did he give it to you? Let's get more personal. What are you doing with it? Are you willing to simply live life and go to heaven? Or do you long in your soul to be a good steward of what God, through Jesus, has so graciously given you. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit, and don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.